This is the official Sasta podcast with your host Harry Stebbings at H Stebbings on Snapchat. And the show is brought to you by the godfather of Sass himself, Jason Lemkin at Jason LK on Twitter. Also, do not forget if you want to join me, Jason, and the likes of Twilio's Jeff Lawson, HubSpot's Darmesh Shah, and many more incredible leaders of the world of Sass, then all you have to do is enter the promo code Drinks with Harry when you purchase your Sasta 2017 tickets. And not only does that give you 20% off the ticket price, but it also gives you a free happy hour courtesy of the bank of Mr. Lemkin. However, to the show today, and I'm thrilled to welcome Whitney Sales. Now, Whitney is the VP of Sales at Talent IQ, and Whitney's been involved in bringing products to market and managing high-growth sales teams for over a decade. She's also the creator of the Sales Method, a strategic framework for launching products, which she used to help three companies earn a place on Inc.'s 5,000 fastest-growing companies list. Prior to joining Talent IQ, though, Whitney held executive positions at Wanalo and Spring Ahead, and currently serves as a mentor at Startex, Alchemist, and previous guest Accelerprise, and a huge thanks to Michael Cardamonics at Accelerprise for the intro to Whitney today. However, without further ado, I'm delighted to welcome Whitney Sales, VP of Sales at Talent IQ. Good, that's perfect. Okay, I think we're warmed up. Whitney, so fantastic to have you on the show today. Huge thanks to Michael at Accelerprise for the intro, but thank you so much, Whitney, for joining me today. Oh, thank you. I'm excited. Now, I'd love to get started today, Whitney, with a two to three minute story of you and how you made your way into the world of SaaS and and in particular sales. Yeah, well, uh, with the last name Sales, you know, being born and raised, the last name Sales is kind of a hard thing to avoid. But more specifically, uh, SaaS and sales. uh, So when I was younger, I always knew I wanted to work uh, in innovation. And somehow I was never a builder. I never saw myself as an engineer. You know, there is this really uh, interesting part of innovation that focuses on launching a business versus just building uh, a product. And so when I graduated from school, uh, I went and was looking for early stage companies to work for, and I joined a company called LoopNet. And LoopNet's a really, uh, really fantastic company. I'm still friends with most of the people I worked with there. Uh, they built something really amazing, and I found my first mentor there, uh, a man named Brian Smith, who is just an incredible sales leader. He grew the team from four to 120 people, and he really took me under his wing. And about six months into the job, uh, I was given the opportunity to launch a new product for them. I had no idea what the opportunity was at that time, but it really was my foray into uh, this piece of the puzzle in entrepreneurship of figuring out how to take a product to market. I got to work with our development team and our analytics team and our marketing team. uh, And we were incredibly successful. We hit our annual targets within a few months. uh, And I just fell in love with it uh, and went on to find other companies uh, or or find other companies that are looking to launch products at Joby and Spring Ahead. uh, And then ended up going on consulting on my own, working with amazing founders like Dina Varshitskaya from Juanilo and Michael Hart from Attune and and found my current current role uh, at Talent IQ and our founder, Sean Henry. And I have to ask, I always find mentors a very interesting topic. We were just talking about it uh, pre the interview. What was a big learning that you took from kind of being with the experienced Brian who took you under his wing? Are there any that stick out? Yeah. Brian, as a mentor, you know, I see a lot of sales leaders that actually coach people on how to do it their way. And Brian, as a mentor, really pulled out your ideas uh, and empowered you to figure out how to do it your way. And it was incredibly empowering uh, as a salesperson. He really utilized what you learned and helped uh, shape and mold your sales process to who you were and how you thought. So you really got to maximize you know, your potential in the sales process. And uh, it's something I like to take in and what I do today. Would you say then that there's there's no real sales playbook as such because it's such a personalized individual art? So 
you can say that sales is an art. There are processes uh, that you can apply, uh, but it's more of a process of inquiry uh, and figuring out what questions you need answered versus it being uh, a structured process. I am not a fan of playbooks. It's not really how I operate as a person. I feel if you're going to innovate, there are best practices and there's things you, you should learn, but you should always question them and figure out what's best for your company and your customer and your strategy. So there is elements of a sales playbook in the sense there is a process of inquiry and questions you need to get answered. But I wouldn't necessarily say, you know, you go and you hire this person and then they do this. And then that person, that person does that. And all of a sudden you're successful. No. You mentioned innovating there, and it's a topic that I really want to deep dive on today in terms of kind of the entrepreneurial side of selling. So I'd love to yep. start with with the basics of at what stage should this entrepreneurship selling take place? And, and why do you think it's so important that founders do experience this selling of their own product? Yeah. So I'm, I'm in sales. So I, my, my opinion is you should be selling from day one. When you are going through your customer discovery process, the mocking up of a product on a napkin or a piece of paper, or going through wireframes with your customer, talking about a solution is its own sales process. The sooner you start associating that with money or an exchange of some sort, uh, the sooner you start getting real feedback of whether you've actually found a product market fit. And when it comes to founders, the importance of founder selling, um, um, there's a couple reasons why. One is a successful entrepreneur, especially the business side of entrepreneur, uh, you know, of the team. It's really important uh, to realize that sales skills are going to be part of about 90% of what you're doing. As a leader, you're selling ideas to your team. Uh, when you're hiring someone, you're selling the idea of your company and that it's going to go somewhere um, to your first hires. Uh, if you need to pivot, you're selling the the concept of the pivot internally into your VCs when you're raising funding. Um, you know, it, it's a sales process. Isn't in and of itself. It's not just a customer interaction. Uh, and so it's a critical skill set to really have as a founder and really understand because when you do, you can actually apply it in a really interesting way. Do you, yeah. think, do you think it's a skill set that can be learned? Or I, I speak to a lot of technical co-founders who say, that's just not me. Do you think it can be learned with time and with effort? Absolutely. You have to want to. Sales is, is really about relationships. It's about uh, a give and take and an exchange. Everyone has their own style of selling. It's the concept of, you know, Glenn Glary and Glenn Ross and a car salesman that people go, that's not me. Um, but if you work with someone and really understanding what sales is, it's really a deep dive into problem solving. It's understanding what problems customers have and whether the product or solution that you're offering fits that problem. Uh, and then come, you know, figuring out where monetarily that that aligns for them and how do they go about spending the money. I'm sorry, I cut you off there though on the importance of founder selling. Uh, What what was the final reason you thought for founders experiencing sales? It's incredibly important for founders to know how to sell because when they are hiring their first salespeople, they need to know what skill sets those salespeople need uh, need to have. And then they also need to understand um, what's going to be required of that salesperson in order to set them up for success. In in this kind of stage of the business then, when when you look at this entrepreneurial selling, what do you think of the most common challenges you see founders struggling with? The entrepreneurial selling, it's this really interesting thing. Um, and I, I see it a lot when, uh, when I'm teaching. When founders first get a customer who's interested, they kind of handle them with kid gloves. And um, you know, when I'm teaching, they'll ask me a question on how to address a particular problem with a customer. And they'll, I'll give them the solution and they'll go, really, you can do that? Oh yeah, why not? And you know, one of the reasons I always love working with founders specifically is they have this mentality of why not about life. 
Um, and they really approach problems from the standpoint of why not. But when it comes to selling, they don't approach it in the same way. Uh, sales itself is its own, and when you're taking a product to market, is its own kind of product that you really need to think through. Uh, it's, a, it's a process of trial and error and figuring out how do you position the product? How do you, um, how do you get it to market? How do you, um, what do your buyers look like, et cetera? And so if you approach it from this element of why not, you can really uh, mold your process to your market uh, to, to be successful. You mentioned some of the questions there. What do you think specifically mm-hmm. are the questions that founders should be trying to answer in this stage to be successful? Yeah. So um, you know, we talked a little bit about this uh, earlier in the podcast as far as the process goes, this process of inquiry. There's five core questions I look at. So when you're, you're talking to VCs, you really talk about your TAM. Uh, but when you're looking at selling, uh, when you're initially launching, you really need to focus on a segment of the market versus your overall target market. So it's honing in on the on the portion of your market that's most likely to buy your product and figuring out external factors uh, that helps you identify those so you can start you know, developing your lead. Uh, then from there, it's looking at who are the buyers within within that organization. So who has the pain point and who's going to have the, the budget to spend. One thing I like to look at as well as within buyers is as an early stage company, you really need to be looking for buyers who are innovators and early adopters um, versus just titles within an organization um, or just profiles. You you really need to have that mindset because they're going to be more comfortable uh, taking risks with you and giving you feedback. And uh, then there's the element of how do these buyers then talk about the product? So how do they talk about their pain? How do they talk about the product? Which is really going to help you craft your story and your pitch. It also helps you identify uh, gaps in knowledge in the market where you could potentially provide content, your marketing positioning. Uh, then how do they learn about new products, which is going to help inform your marketing strategies. And then uh, finally, it's uh, what other products do they do they use? You know, what other technologies have been adopted by these particular customers? And then you can look at from there, where you potentially need to develop your business, you know, have business development relationships. And then also how are those pricing models structured with pricing? Yes, you can reinvent the wheel, but you know, when you're already inventing quite a bit, if, especially if you're in a new market, you don't really want to reinvent the wheel. You want something your customers can latch onto and understand. Um, and those pricing models, number one, you can associate yourself with uh, particular companies in the market. So if you want to sell into the SMB or versus the enterprise, um, you can associate yourself with those products based on pricing models, um, but also you have a model that your customer can really understand and, and latch onto, so it's easier for them to sell it internally. And I absolutely love those five core criteria there. Uh, the trouble is with it for you is now I have questions off each one of them. Uh, so, <laughs> so I'm sorry for that, but you said about the, let's, so let's start with one. Uh, you said about market segment. Uh, I, I, I speak to a lot of SaaS founders who say we've got the, you know a huge market segment with five different customer products profiles. How honed does a market segment and kind of target profile need to be, do you think? So when you're approaching a market, it's where you can get traction. Um, so it's a specific use case you want to look for in a segment. So you're going to, when you approach the overall market, you don't want to narrow it in too far. Uh, you don't want to go too broad either. Your target market, you can usually narrow in on two or three segments of that market. And then you want to start to sell into that market. So you want to try different marketing strategies. So as you're doing your customer discovery, you you found out you know, how these companies learned about new products and you try those strategies. Um, so you can do a drip campaign or you can go to a conference. And then from there, see where you get traction quickly when, you're, when you start 
to get traction, then you look at what are those buying cycles look like? So some, does one of the markets have a shorter buying cycle? And then I would hope to focus in on there. Or does one of those uh, segments have that pain point in a greater way where they're willing to spend more money and then focus there? So uh, it's a it's a process of inquiry um, as, as you, you narrow in. But I would say two to three max before you focus on your one uh, and then you know figure out which one has the real pain point and you can get a use case around because then you can use that use case to get a lot more traction. And I told you I'm going down the criteria. You mentioned the buyers and said about the importance yes. of them being innovators. How can you yes. tell as as a startup founder or as a kind of first sales rep, how can you tell whether a CIO or a CMO or kind of a C-suite exec is an innovator? Is it a simple stalking of their Twitter? What are the signs? A lot of them will actually just identify themselves as an innovator. I, I talk to companies and when, I'm, I have, when I have a conversation, they'll just say it. Another thing to look at is tech stack. Um, so there's really cool tools like Built With or Datanize um, or Intricately that basically list off the tech stack the companies have. And if you see, you know, on a marketing tech stack, for example, or a dev tech stack, um, you know, based on the marketing site, you can, you can see if a technology on their site is a younger technology. And you'll see a couple of them actually. So that's one way you can look at whether it's a newer a company that's come from more comfortable with new technology. Um, another one is talking to companies in your space and identifying that as you have conversations, people will call other people out as innovators and make introductions for you. Twitter's a great way for sure. Um, they pay attention to the VC space is going to be something. Um, they're mentors for accelerators and incubators too. So they might be listed somewhere. I like to look at tech stack and then I like to look at um, LinkedIn profiles because they're very obvious. And then, you know, you can always go to Twitter as well. Yeah, no, I love looking at their tech stack and seeing the, the new and innovative companies. Uh, that's a brilliant one. In terms of how they talk, you said about uh, kind of gaps in their potential information and how you could feed yeah. that back to content marketing. How close a relationship do you think then that sales and content marketing should play in this kind of harmonious relationship? So uh, in my opinion, sales and marketing are one and the same. They're different roles in the same process. And when you have alignment and you're a well-oiled machine for marketing and sales, you're 10 times more effective. And that's something that, that we, I, I really strive for with the organizations I've worked with. And now at Talent IQ, we're, our marketing team knows when to dial back leads because we're focusing on closing and when to ramp them back up at the beginning of months or quarters and what our load looks like each week. They know what are good accounts. We go through reporting on that. If there's knowledge gap, uh, our marketing team, actually, our SDR is one of our writers, our content writers. They'll work together on developing a piece of content and get it out for us within a week. So it's it's really phenomenal when you have a well-oiled machine. It's just you can use each other in such such wonderful ways. It's critical. It's to really understand where, um, especially really early on within a company, um, they're so closely linked. You really need to be having conversations on a weekly basis, if not a couple times a week, around what are the needs and letting each other address those. And, and now we've discussed the criteria. I'm really intrigued to go back to the entrepreneurial selling element and, and just discuss, mm -hmm. before you've said that it should happen between launch and product market fit, uh, I heard you say. So, so I'm intrigued though, when does this end? And what are the signs that the founders then should look to hire their first sales rep? It's, it's a question I actually get a lot, and I've heard a lot of different responses for it. You know, some people say it's revenue-related. Some people say it's the number of customers. I personally like to look at it from the standpoint of, do you know what's going to be required of a salesperson on a day-to-day -day basis? Do you know what their day is going to look like to set them up for success? Do you know what a successful salesperson will look like from a skill set perspective and a personality perspective? You can answer those two questions with a little bit of gray. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, you don't, you don't have that exact person yet, um, but you have a general idea of what that person should look like and what their day-to-day 
is going to look like and you know what to train them on. I think that's a really good time to think about hiring mm-hmm. uh, when you have when you have that those two concepts in, in mind. And, and, and what should they look for then in those sales reps in terms of kind of the characteristics is say, uh, non-sales specific founders who don't know really what a good sales rep looks like. They've done it themselves in that pre product market fit stage. What does the first sales rep look like in most startups for you? Uh, so the way I look at hiring uh, our first sales reps is number one, dissecting the sales process and, and what do they need to know? What is our sales process overall? Is it a SMB sales? So you're going to need someone younger who's a bit more transactional and who likes that quick return. Is it an enterprise sale where you need someone to come in with relationships and who's asked, looking, who's used to asking for big ticket items or pricing things at a higher price point? Because it is a mentality people have to wrap their head around. Is it a consultative sale where you need to be able to think on your feet um, and it's a bit more creative and uh, how the product fits into the customer? Customers, uh, customers' tech stack? Is it a developer tool where you need someone who, can, who has a technical vernacular? There's a, it's really understanding kind of what those skills are uh, that you're going to need from that salesperson, understanding that profile. The other piece I would add to this that is universal, so again, it's a process of inquiry as far as what your sales process looks like, which is why it's really important for founders to sell. Uh, but the second piece I say for your first sales hire is you really need someone who has, number one, is comfortable with gray because the sales process process when you first hire them is going to be different from the sales process six months later. Also someone who has a curious mind who likes to come up with solutions is their own innovator. So I, I can give an example at, at Talent IQ, one of our sales guys, literally uh, we have an innovation roundtable. We sit down every week and talk about our problems and how to tackle them. Can we tackle them with technology or can we build something internally uh, that'll tackle our problems to make ourselves more efficient? Um, and he brings new solutions to the table every single week. He loves it. Um, and he loves the element of contributing every day. And it's it's a really critical mindset in your first salespeople is not people who aren't looking to walk into an ABCD, um, people who are comfortable and, and really enjoy that process of inquiry and figuring it out. Mm-hmm. Kind of a malleable internal entrepreneur almost. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And I'd love to dive into a quick fire with you now uh, called the 60 seconds faster. So 60 seconds per answer. How does that sound? Sounds great. Let's do it. So let's do, we spoke about uh, tools and stacks there. What's your preferred tools for your sales stack? So um, I, we use the go-tos. One I think that a lot of companies aren't aware of um, that I think would be beneficial is a company called Nova. Think of them as a yesware or a Tout app um, with a layer of AI on it. So it's it's a personal email personalization uh, platform. Our SDR uses this and it's probably 3x for capacity. It's a, it's a really fantastic tool for us. We've used them since the very beginning um, and they've been really, really effective. What do you know now that you wish you'd known when you started with Brian? This specific question is a really interesting one for me. Um, I was trying to think through it. I guess for me, the thing, if I were to look at myself and kind of give myself a piece of advice uh, early on in my career would be just go for it. I put a lot of restrictions on myself and um, what a salesperson was supposed to look like or what a sales leader was supposed to look like. Brian, you know, as a mentor was really interesting in that there wasn't a supposed to. Um, It was really figuring out what was best for you and figuring out your strategy and your process. And uh, he set big goals and, you know, I set bigger goals for myself. It was this process of just go for it and figure it out. Um, I didn't trust myself as much as I trust myself today where um, I'm much more comfortable making mistakes. Um, and I really try and give my team that kind of, that kind of permission where try something, just try it. It, it can't hurt. Um, trust yourself to make those mistakes and figure it out. Would you give that same advice to founders kind of contemplating selling? Just go for it, iterate, A-B test and move on. Absolutely. You're not going to lose anything. 
um, you haven't, you don't have that customer yet. So you're not going to lose anything by trying. And as a founder, your passion for the product, your passion for the market will translate to your customers and you are the best person suited to sell, um, whether you have sales experience or not. Hmm. Uh, you really just need to give it a shot. And then what's the biggest mistake that current SaaS companies are enacting in their sales process, do you think? Yeah, this is an article uh, that Leo's from, uh, this is actually touches on an article that um, Leo from Sousa Ventures, who's one of our VCs, uh, wrote, I believe it was last week. No blind hiring. There are old sales playbooks, but sales has changed for me personally. Uh, the way I see it is sales has changed a lot in the last 10 years. Uh, a lot <laughs> and technology, especially around sales, there's new tools for everything. You know, it, I talked a little bit our, about our innovation roundtable before we hire, um, a headcount. Um, we make sure that we understand what that person's going to be responsible for and what the needs of that person are. And then it's a necessary hire. Um, I don't think it's, you want to throw a headcount at it because there's technically a lot of solutions and, and software that's available today that can increase capacity per head that provides a company with a lot more growth, uh, growth and margin and a lot more flexibility to add headcount in other areas where it might be more necessary. Can I ask, do you think the proliferation of sales tools is a, is a good thing? We had Russ Hurl, a VP of sales from DataHub on the show, who stated the kind of confusion that it generates. Do you, do you agree with the confusion and do you think there are potential downsides to such a mass of sales tools? Uh, the sales market is definitely up for consolidation. That's going to be coming for sure. If you look at what's going on in the sales space, it's a lot of what's happened in the marketing space uh, several years ago. That's why there's a technical uh, VP of marketing or technical CMOs now. Sales has changed a lot. And if you stick to the old way of doing things, there's going to be a lot of confusion. That's not to call out um, the interview from last week, but if you have to adopt your uh, or adapt your sales processes to the technology today. And if you look at how sales has evolved in the past couple of years, it's really evolved as a result of the technology. So um, the SDR function came into play because you could track uh, the activities of an individual salesperson realized that a lot of the time was spent in the initial lead gen and demand gen portion. And so you could break out that function and focus a salesperson on the closing the closing function. Um, if you look at these uh, lead scoring platforms, they're a result of marketing automation and CRMs really coming into play because there's a lot more data available. And so they can now layer that on. That function kind of comes, comes into play. And you start to minimize a lot of what a person had to do manually. Selling today is very different than it used to be. Um, you know, we talk about the challenger sale, for example, the challenger sale is super interesting in that your buyer is much more educated by the time you're actually talking to a sales rep. Uh, and so you have to challenge their belief system and their way of doing things and the assumptions they had where before a lot of the times you were introducing a new product they'd never heard about. And it's because it's a proliferation of information. And so it's this really interesting thing. When you look at how the market's actually shifted and how sales has actually changed, you need to adapt to it. Um, so to come back to your question around tools, yes, there are a lot of tools out there today. Um, I'm especially seeing a lot in the AI space. Um, I think it's a great thing. We're up for some consolidation, but as a salesperson, I would love to get rid of the tedious tasks that I have on a day-to-day -day basis and <laughs> focus on the, the customer interaction and um, the actual selling. So if I can automate um, a lot of pieces of that, awesome. 
And then final question for you, and it's not a quick fire, but it's you said about kind of uh, sales tools and the proliferation of them, uh, removing the need for some headcount additionally. Uh, I'm intrigued that if we do decide that headcount is really important, what do you think the hiring structure should be for for a new sales rep? And, and kind of what are the stages and steps to this additional team member? So the way I look at my hiring is uh, there's three core things I look for. Uh, so one is mentality, two is skill set, and three is culture. Taking a step back, looking at mentality, I look for an innovator's mindset, um, curiosity, competitive but team player. The skill set, I like to look at how their previous sales process and experience and how it aligns with our current process um, and how structured they are around that. So are they are they going to be flexible changing that process or um, do they need to stick to the way they had done things before? Um, because it's going to tell me whether they're a fit or not from a skill level. And then the culture piece is, you know, the culture of your organization, how you describe it and whether it's a good fit. And how we've structured our sales process is, you know, my SDR does um, does our sourcing. Um, I usually do the initial round of interviews focused on, you know, what attracted to them the company, what was their previous experience, what was their previous sales process, and then uh, where are they looking to go and uh, what teams have they worked on before, what did they like to dislike about previous teams. Um, and then from there, um, we do a sales pitch where our whole team gets to sit in and play roles as the companies that we typically sell to as a customer. Um, and we really see how they do uh, under pressure and coming up with solutions because ours is a very creative sell. Thumbs up, thumbs down. <laughs> and if it if it goes well, our CEO does an interview with them, uh, and then from there, our whole team gets a chance to sit down with them. You know, we've actually had people who have made it to that round um, and have not behaved appropriately with people that were, who are their peers or they'd be working with very closely, um, and, and ended up not not hiring them. But uh, from there, if it goes well, we do a happy hour test. Um, is that kind of culture fit? Is it someone we want to spend eight hours a day with? Okay, uh, so, so that's that, how we so really look at that. So process. the happy hour test. Is can they can they drink eight mojitos and still stand, or, or, or can they retain a sense of composure in an environment? Is this person we want to spend eight hours a day with? It's it's less around the drinking and it's more around um, this is a person we like and want to spend our day to day with. Whitney, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show today. Uh, I so appreciate you taking the time out, and I so enjoyed chatting. My pleasure. Thank you so much. A huge hand to Whitney for giving up her time today to come on the show, and a special thanks to Michael Cardamone at Excel Price for the intro to Whitney today, without which the show would not have been possible. Also, do not forget, if you'd like to hear incredible leaders of the SaaS and sales industry in the flesh at SaaS to 2017, then all you have to do is enter the promo code DRINKSWITHHARRY, those three words, DRINKSWITHHARRY, when you purchase your SaaS to 2017 tickets, and you'll not only get 20% off your ticket price, but you'll also get free drinks with me and Mr. Jason Lem it would be so great to see you there as always i'm so grateful for all the support you can always email me your feedback harry at the 20 minutevc.com i always love to hear from you and i look very forward to bringing you next week's episodes